This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Hello and welcome to the podcast Take Note. I'm your host, John Wasserman. And for tonight's guest, I have Vincent Giardino here. Vincent, you are a freshman here at LIU, correct? Yes, that's correct. And a double major? Uh, I'm a major, and uh, my major is economics, and I have a minor in mathematics. All right, economics, mathematics, one of our great accountants at work right now. (laughs) Learn how to become one. And for all those of you who are wondering about the 10 people listening where I've been for the past three weeks, guess what? I got a life, too. I got to study for finals and pass so I can continue doing this. Without further ado, let's get into the reason why you're here, Vincent. Would you care to elaborate? Um, yes. So um, there's been a lot of um, anger and outrage over some of the actions of the administration recently um, mm-hmm. regarding changes to curriculum and changes to policy, especially with regard to changes within the um, credit framework, within the changes to the tuition policies, um, and overall neglect on behalf of the administration for campus facilities and other issues on campus that many students mm-hmm. have become angry over. So, Yes, so one of those big things is the 18 credit policy that's going to yes. be implemented for the first time here next mm-hmm. semester. So for those of you that don't know, that means if a student goes below 12 credits or above 18 credits, they're going to be charged an extra $250 as opposed to the $850 for a full-time student's credit. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they're doing that? Um, Well, the university has um, for many years been in financial straits. Um, It goes back on several decades. um, And we've had issues with plummeting enrollments. And as a result, um, as a university that primarily relies on tuition money, um, for financial stability, not outside investments or outside resources, um, and as well as research grants, um, we are desperate for um, financial um, flows right now. And because we are losing them due to plummeting enrollments, like I said, um, the administration is trying to um, achieve as many um financial flows as they can at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a short-term solution. It's not necessarily a long-term solution that focuses on the deep structural issues on campus that explain the plummeting enrollments um, and would yield um, higher um, cash flows for the university. It's more so a financial decision in the short term. Um, And I personally feel that it is disguised as a um, policy aimed at helping students um, and rather than what the policy is actually aimed at, which is just gaining additional revenue for the time being. Mm. So that brings me to the next question. Have you or anyone else in this protest decided to reach out to Dr. Klein or anyone else in the administration about why they're doing this? So, um, I know you kind of just gave an explanation of why you think yes. feel so. So um, what we have actually done is there is a Facebook group called Tuition Initiative um, Mm -hmm. made up mostly of theater students who are most heavily impacted, but also other majors like myself. And several students have contacted the president and other um, administrators. They have received a response um, here and there. Mm -hmm. I personally emailed along with one of my friends, Deborah, 
um, who has been working with me as well. And so far, the president of the university has not responded to neither my email nor the email that Deborah sent out as well. Um, we do not know if whether or not she um, opened the email and she's trying to figure out how to respond or if she has not read the emails yet. Um, however, we have not heard back yet. I have contacted one of the deans, the dean of, the, of liberal arts right now, um, and he has been very cordial in um, assisting us right now. He has um, agreed we have been preparing a list of solutions and a list of grievances, and he has agreed that him and the deans will look over those solutions and those um, grievances once they are prepared. So you talked about the performing arts. Yes. Now, as beautiful it is to think that you're just some stand-up guy being the guardian of the poor theater kids. What's What brought you into this fight? So um, I was originally going to take um, an additional class next semester. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a little annoyed when I found out about the credit policy because many of myself and many of the other students in one of my classes went to enroll in those classes and we were all blocked because we were over 18 credits. We were either 19 credits or above. I'm now, sorry, what do you mean by blocked? So on the MyLOU page, when you go to enroll in classes that are in your shopping cart, if you are uh, at not originally, if you were at 19 credits, you could enroll in those classes. You would be officially enrolled in those courses for the next semester. However, if you went above that 19 credit requirement and you did not have approval yet from um, your chair or from your advisor, um, you would be blocked and you would say that it would tell you that you are over the credit maximum. Mm -hmm. Now, we were all operating under that 19 credit maximum, but when the policy was changed without notice, without any communication to any um, member of the student body. So you're or, saying there was really no newsletter now? There was no out? communication whatsoever about the change in policy to any, um, either the promise coach or um, the professors or the students. And when we went to enroll in um, a 19 credit um, schedule, especially myself, um, I was blocked along with others because it was over 18 credits. Mm -hmm. But we were under the impression that we were allowed to enroll in a schedule that had 19 credits. So. Okay. But, so you're saying is you need to get pr approval from the chair, whatever yes. major you're in. Yes. That probably has to go through the financial department and like admissions. There's a bit of a hierarchy. I'm not entirely sure yeah. exactly what it is, but it does involve the chair and then the dean. Um, mm -hmm. But back to your question about why exactly I got involved with this. Yes. I was a little annoyed at first, but I didn't think anything specifically of it. I just thought, okay, maybe it's just a change in, in policy. It should have been communicated uh, more efficiently than it was. But I spoke to many students that I knew, many friends that were suffering from this and were thinking about transferring. Um, and, you know, I am a very, I try to be as, as, as sympathetic to um, mm -hmm. their plights as I can. Um, and I felt terrible because I, I felt like I was going to lose many friends um, who would transfer or would have to change their programs entirely. One of my professors asked me to double major in political science. Mm -hmm. However, I had to refuse him. Um, because of the fact that I could not handle um, a double major. I mm -hmm. don't, I, I'm struggling to handle a minor right now. I have yeah. to reorganize my entire schedule, unfortunately, just to incorporate a minor. Um, so I felt terrible, um, especially because of the fact that I had to decline a professor um, who has been more than helpful in terms of financial assistance for textbooks and things like that. And um, I've also felt terrible about my friends um, who were suffering through this as well. So. Yeah. I'm assuming a lot of your friends are in the theater program here. Yes, I know many students in the theater program. Uh, one of my friends is um, in social work as well, um, and he is double majoring in social work and I believe early childhood development. I'm not entirely sure, but okay. he is suffering a lot as well. Mm. Okay. 
So back to the whole performing arts. Yes. So in, pu- in a public school system, you know, it's usually very underfunded. Yes. So do you feel that this is a profit-driven motive or a policy that consciously or unconsciously, who knows, I'm devil's advocate here, yes. that targets the performing arts at LIU? So um, I do not think that there are negative intentions, mm-hmm. that there are malicious intentions on behalf of the damn administration. Kids. Yes. Um, what I think is the administration, especially the president, is looking at the long term. Mm-hmm. At least they're trying to. And they're looking at what um, majors have the highest return on investment um, of the university's money. Um, however, they're ignoring the core liberal arts mm-hmm. uh, message and mission that is this university's charter. Um, and what it was founded as. Um, And it's a trend across the entire country to focus less on that liberal um, arts-oriented, those liberal arts-oriented disciplines, and more on trade disciplines like business and Mm -hmm. accounting and and nursing and things like that. They just want to, like, really get people out there, get the school a good name. high return on investments. Well, also, here's a food for thought. Mm -hmm. Certain studies have actually shown that statistically students who take – well, this is uh, the two students, that types of students that are going to be affected by this policy – Students that take under 12 credits are more likely to drop out because they're not all the way in. Yes. And then there's also – it also says in that same studies that people who take more than 18 credits are overloaded and not successful. Like with this 19-credit policy, you can take six courses. Yes. Most uh, colleges is um, average course load. They mm-hmm. re- the, what they max it on or recommend is five. Yes. So you really think that you need to take seven or eight courses? So it depends on the university you're looking at. So um, some of the universities um, that have a policy of maybe five courses, say mm-hmm. 17 or 18 credits, um, the way their majors are structured is much different from Post's um, curriculum. Um, it may not be as intense. It may be more intense. Um, I, don't, I can't speak to the specific cases of other universities. But regardless of what other institutions do, um, you, if you have – if, if students come into an institution and they are promised a certain um, set of regulations and requirements and rules that they can play by and they can be ben- and they can benefit from, to change the rules of the game when the mm-hmm. students are already in is, um, I think, unethical. And I think that it does an injustice to what the rules were to begin with. I mm-hmm. think students should have been grandfathered in. Um, but... Regarding the students um, under 12 and over 18, so under 12, that I agree with that statistic. That makes sense. You know, you oh, are so a what? part-time student. For over 18, um, there are several issues with that statistic that aren't apparent just because it is a, just a pure um, number. Um, so many students that are over 18 credits, there are plenty of students that um, I am aware of that are actually performing very well academically. Several of them, um, and this is what... Um, went Dean, over 18? Went over 18. Okay. Dean Brees actually... Um, he he said sorry, something similar the dean to this, of, what? of um, the College of Communication and Arts, okay. and uh, um, I don't know the exact name, but yes, he's the, he's in charge of the theater students. Um, he actually posited a claim similar to that one that students over eighteen credits were overloaded and may not be performing as well. Um, something along those lines, and several of the students rebuked that by showing them him their dean's list letters. Mm-hmm. So there are plenty of students that do perform academically well. Um, students. There are students that don't perform academically well, regardless of how those students are performing. Um, it should not be the policy of the university to change a policy that has been in place for years um, and has been a policy that was promised to students without proper how communication. You, how you feel not to students who are midway into their college career. Exactly, especially um, soon-to-be seniors and juniors and upperclassmen yes. as well. And I remember you saying to me once before, like during the pre-interview, yes. that 
a lot of students in the theater program, if yeah. I remember correctly, usually have to double up and take more than five or six courses yes. a semester to graduate on time. Um, that is the case, yes, but it's more so regarding industry standards. Mm-hmm. Um, the belief is that you cannot be um, a successful theater student, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age which undervalues the performing arts, without being um, knowledgeable about dance and music. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, if you go into the theater business and it doesn't work out that well, at least you have some industry exposure to music and dance that you can try and find other employment. The issue is um, that if you constrict the credit requirements and you make it dif- more difficult for those students to meet those industry standards, there will not be as high return on investment, and those mm-hmm. students will suffer in the long run, which I think has been a variable that has been thoroughly ignored. I like what here. you're doing there. You're bringing it, make it sound like a little more business-like. Yeah. So that actually brings me to the next next thing. You know, yes. LIU it is a corporatized kind of college. Yes. I could be totally wrong by saying that, <laughs> but um, so. The way I see it is like, do you think it's more of them just trying to have a more efficiently running college by statistics and like, okay, people who are under 12 will drop out, as we both agree, mm-hmm. and they feel that 18, over 18 is overloaded, so they're not going to be getting the most out of their education. So do you feel that this might just be a system that, uh, that unfortunately affects the liberal arts degrees and uh, those are casualties of it? And do you think this new policy is just being implemented too hastily without a proper system to accommodate its place? So, like I said before regarding um, the deep structural problems that are causing mm-hmm. plummeting enrollments, the biggest issue that LIU faces currently is plummeting enrollments. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very low graduation rates um, on national statistics. It's at 46% for the um, previous class, mm-hmm. um, at least the most previous statistic published. Um, and it's not necessarily because students are uneducated or you know they're not focused on their programs too much. It's deep structural issues with regard to prom- the Promise mm-hmm. Office, which is, in my opinion, a complete disaster at the moment. It's highly disorganized. Um, I'm sorry, the Promise is, I'm also a new student oh, here. Okay. So LIU Promise is the um, collection, it's the or- institution with, on campus that um, is a collection of advisors, academic advisors, wow. that keep students on track to graduate. Oh, see, I used to go to Iona College. We yes. had CAP, College Assistance Program. Yes, yeah, similar so, to that. Okay. Um, the majority of universities, especially universities that are more successful than LIU, advise within the departments of the major. So you would have a professor or a chair that would um, assist the students in planning out their schedule and making sure they graduate on time. And it is more efficient, in my opinion, and based on the statistics, than the current policy that we have. Um, I think the the university is not malicious in its intent. I think it's just being insincere and it's ignoring the fundamental problems that are causing plummeting enrollments. And it's trying to gouge out as much uh, money as possible to stay afloat right now. Um, rather than focusing on the long-term capital investments that are needed to keep the university not just afloat, but also keep it competitive. Because we are a competitive university. Mm -hmm. We are rising in the rankings slightly. Athletically, too. Yes, but at the cost of a lot of programs that betray our, you know, removing those programs does betray our liberal arts mission, unfortunately. So what you're saying about this uh, promise organization, do you feel that it shouldn't be so centralized as opposed to more dispersed among each department? If I was in charge of... Let's say, hypothetically, I was in charge of the university. I would completely abolish the Promise Office, mostly because of the fact that I do not think that having a system of advisors who are not educated specifically on the different department requirements, on the industry standards. Well, I mean, they're technically tutors, aren't they? A lot of the Promise um, coaches actually are athletic directors or coaches um, on athletic teams and are not entirely um, well aware of the industry standards and the department requirements. Not as much, obviously, as maybe a mathematics 
um, chair with a PhD in mathematics would understand about the industry standards and graduate school, maybe um, standards as well, um, as well as the specific requirements. I actually today had a promise coach call me about the final exam schedule. I work in Hoxie Hall mm-hmm. and he asked me, he said there was a student that um, couldn't find the room number for his final exam. Now, I was under the impression that the student had um, maybe had a course, a, a change in the course in the room number or something. And the promise coach said to me, well, there's no room numbers on the final exam schedule. That is, it was not completely ignored as to what the final exam schedule says, which says that all, um, unless stated otherwise by another by a professor, the final exams will be in the room where you hold the class. It says it directly on the final exam schedule. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example of systemic problems within the promise office that lead to plummeting enrollments, that lead to... Um, lower graduation statistics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, many students are not, you know, their, their industry standards are not being met. Um, they're not graduating with department requirements being fulfilled. Um, sometimes they even have to change their major entirely because they are not fulfilled in what they originally majored in. Um, and credits are not also being transferred correctly. Um, when I'm sorry, I, by fulfilled, do you mean personally or by the school that's not fulfilling them? The school is not providing the adequate advice for the students to fulfill them. Um, When I've actually spoken with many students about credits being transferred from AP and IB programs and college Mm -hmm. programs at the high school level, and they have told me that they have had horror stories about the fact that um, promise coaches were either entirely unaware of either what, for example, IB or even AP was or what Mm -hmm. the specific programs were, or... Um, were not transferring the correct amount of credits over, um, despite specific policies within the university um, rules and regulations that state how many credits should be allocated based on the grade received on those collegiate level exams. Hmm. So, so what you're saying is that each uh, department should have their own professors stay later? I think... Like have an adjunct who is a part-time worker here? Well, I'll, the issue with... The issue with adjuncts specifically is that there's a high turnover. Um, It is cheaper to hire an adjunct than a full tenured professor. And then you're not like, well, to issue that problem you just said, that might be hard with an adjunct, especially if the – I'm not sure how many professors Mm. are adjuncts here, but – There are – the adjuncts that I am aware of, I have several adjuncts that I've had as professors, Mm -hmm. and they are very good. Uh, My philosophy professor is very good. Uh, My economics professor is an amazing professor. And, you know – Despite the fact that, you know, we should have more full tenured faculty or at least full mm-hmm. professors, not necessarily tenured yeah. at least, um, but at least full Especially professors. Especially to accommodate ideas like you're talking yes. about. Yes. Um, I think, um, you know, maybe having adjuncts is, is an excellent um, proposal. I think it, it helps a university grow. I also think it helps those adjuncts grow in the field and help students grow. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that... Um, I think that would be a much better system, even if it does have inefficiencies, than what the current system is. At least those adjunct professors, despite you know if they are um, ill-informed on certain issues, mm-hmm. they are they have pe- they yeah. are you know trained in the specific subject yeah. at least. They will know what the student. Yes. Uh, hopefully knows what yes. the student. Many of them means. have at least a master's degree or a PhD, mm-hmm. and many of them are educated on. Many of them are recent graduates themselves, maybe or in completion of their PhD, and they are well aware of the industry standards for those university graduate schools. They are well aware of what the um, current industry is demanding in terms of maybe mathematical requirements for an economics major, Mm -hmm. in terms of business requirements for an accounting major um, or a business major. And I think that that would be a much more efficient system. And you can even look at universities like New York University, which does advise within the departments and is highly successful with those programs. Mm
Okay. So. And so to play devil's advocate for a moment. Yes. Since you're an econ major. Yes. Are you okay with LAU, which is clearly kind of being right now a capitalistic, kind of profit-driven organization? Yeah. You even said to me once that you believe in efficiency. Yes. So I understand you want a bargain education in a sense. You want to be able to take your double major and have to take as many credits as you like. But can you and then get out into the world and make as much money as you can? Can you really be upset at LIU for wanting to do the same thing? So there are several issues with that. Um, and ter- sorry, what do you believe the correct balance is? So I do believe that universities should drive for efficiency, mm-hmm. but universities are not a business. They do not run for profit. Um, I do think that there are areas of the economy that capitalist structures should not necessarily be directly entirely involved in and have complete control over, and I think education is one of those. With regard to efficiency, like you said, I do believe in efficiency, and I think that universities should cut programs that are not as successful, that have low returns on investments. Um, however, the way that the university is going about trying to achieve that efficiency is actually inefficiency. It's not looking at the long-term stability of the mm-hmm. university. It's not looking at the long-term health of the students. It's not looking at the deep structural problems. Univer- if a university was like a corporation and it was trying to be as efficient and prosperous as possible, we would be a top-rate university. Because of the fact that um, if the university was treated as a whole corporation, rather the administration treating itself as just one corporation and the university being treated as a workforce, as it almost is in a way, um, we would have much higher enrollment rates. We would have much higher graduation statistics. The issue is we are not looking at the long run. We are not looking at the future financial security of the mm-hmm. university, at solving the problem, the steep um, systemic problems within the university's foundations, within the physical buildings themselves, mm-hmm. um, within the programs themselves, and within the organization of the university's institutions, such as Promise and even some departments, mm-hmm. um, that would yield much higher successes and much more efficiency. Um, and I think that universities do vie for efficiency, and there are universities for example, like Harvard, are very efficient Mm -hmm. because of the fact that they um, are very competitive, but they are competitive because they are efficient, because they are able to get students out into the world. Um, They are able to attract high-achieving students. They are able to attract students who have good resources, who can contribute to the university Mm -hmm. in terms of their mental resources, their human capital. Um, And they are successful in competing against other universities Mm -hmm. in terms of that long-term survival. I don't know how well LIU will be in the future, based on these policies. However, I can predict that it will not turn out well in the long run because the policies are neglecting that future um, goal of stability and efficiency. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, to go back to one of the points you made that it uh, should not be a profit-driven yes. university. Yes. It is at the same time a in- private university. Yes. So, you know, well, take me for example. I used to go to Nassau Community College, you mm-hmm. know, where Bernie Sanders, when he was running, yes. rest his soul, not dead, <laughs> but didn't do too well in the election. Yes. He wanted education to be free. And, you know, now uh, Governor Cuomo is now making uh, strides in New York education to help hopefully make that free one day for people like you and me. Yes. You know, well, now I'm here at a private institution with a profit-driven model. You know, you might not like it that way, but at the end of the day, that's what they're here to do. They're here to make money for the board of investors, you know? Yes. So... Many argue that there's going to be a divide with that, you know, exactly this issue. So what do you think is the proper amount of courses to put on the place, 
plate before we're charged? Or should there be no limit? Well, to go back to what you said about profit, um, the university actually designated as a not-for-profit institution. Really? Yes. It does. Um, I it it is that. not a pro- – if we were a for-profit university, we would not be as large as we are um, because of the fact that we would not have as high enrollment rates. We are a private university. We are an independent university. We are an independent university system, but we are not driven for-profit. We are a liberal arts institution, and we are a – a properly and formally accredited institution of higher education. So a profit motive is not what the university is supposed to be striving for. It does have to strive for higher resources, higher cash flows mm-hmm. from outside, from outside um, uh, benefactors, from alumni as well, um, from grants from the federal government, um, as well as tuition money. However, that is not treated as profit by the university, and it should not be treated as profit. And I don't know if it is. If it is, then that's a violation of our um, accreditation standard um, as a not-for-profit institution. Um, but in terms of courses, I think that if students entered the university under specific policy, that policy should not be reversed when they are promised that policy. I think that they should be grandfathered in, which is the feeling of both students and professors, um, students heavily because the students are the one who are vo- vo- vocalizing these issues. Um, and those students should be allowed to continue with what they are operating under. I think the 19 credit r- maximum before you had to get approval, um, I think was an efficient system. I think students were doing well with it. The like I said, the plummeting enrollment rates and um, the graduation issues. You feel made them try to make this hasty decision? I feel that. I feel that it, they were trying to make graduation easier, but I also feel that the 19 credit requirements were not affecting the graduation rates. I think that it was because of promise and other systemic issues on campus, as well as um, transfers out of the university. We do have a falling retention rate, unfortunately. Um, well, I mean, I, this school is mainly a commuter school at yes. this point, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And because we are a commuter school, I think, um, at least this is my theory, because we are a commuter school, we don't have as high of a, as a retention as maybe a school that has a large dorming population mm-hmm. because the students don't feel as intimately attached. Universities that do have or do require students to live on campus or have an overwhelming majority of students live on campus, at least for the first year or two, those students tend to stay with that university on average mm-hmm. longer. Um, they tend to have higher retention rates. They tend to have a more intimate connection with the university. Mm-hmm. Because we are a large commuter school, that's difficult. Um, but you know, you can look at something like NASA, which is a commuter school and may, has a higher retention rate than LIU in certain respects. But that's because NASA does run things some, somewhat more efficiently than LIU does. Well, I mean, efficiently, you know, compared to NASA, you know, yeah. that school has concrete buildings. It says nicely brick buildings. Yeah. NASA doesn't have any botanical gardens either yes. or horse riding teams. Yes. You know, you're paying for a lot more also when you go here yes. that they but, need to maintain. But in terms of how much we're paying, I think that there is waste, high administrative waste in terms of allocating those, those financial resources. Um, and I don't think that, you know, gardens and, and you know, the beautiful trees that we have on campus are a sign of a well-structured university. I think it's... A good well, component a sign of the university. That, yeah, well, the, uh, there's a sign of the university that definitely does try to put it. It does care about its well, environment, yes. and it is a beautiful university. I, oh, I, I love I this university, I but I feel that this university is suffering and is hurting a lot. And I want to try and help to fix mm-hmm. the structural problems on campus. Um, one solution that I've, I've thought of a lot is yeah. um, creating a invest reinvestment fund, mm-hmm. and each year a certain amount. We would cut a small amount from the budget that is wasteful, that is seen as wasteful. I would have to look at the budget to say, okay, this is maybe wasteful for the university, mm-hmm. not a high return on investment for students. Students don't like this. Cut it. 
And we would put maybe $100,000 in a reinvestment fund. And we would allocate that $100,000 each year to a major capital investment mm-hmm. project on campus. Maybe repairing the theater buildings is critical right now. Um, I'm repairing sorry, where the are the theater buildings? The, the theater buildings, um, they're somewhat scattered. They're in front of a library, um, most of them, um, near Khan as well. There's that huge field between yes. humanities and Khan and the library. Um, and if you go inside those buildings, they are um, experiencing deep foundational problems. There are um, construction issues within that building that have not been addressed within those buildings. And I think that reallocating money each year to maybe re, re, you know, saving those buildings from, from mold and, and from intrusion, environmental intrusion, might be good. Um, it might improve the um, performance of students as well because they feel that they're in a well-structured building. They feel like the university is caring mm-hmm. about repairing those issues. Same thing with dorming. On campus, um, I cannot attest to that. Why don't yeah. you tell me a little bit about that? So I live in Nassau Hall, um, mm-hmm. and there, I, I do like the residence hall I live in. I do have um, amazing RAs, but there are structural issues within the dorms themselves. Um, in terms of facilities, there are issues with the showers. There is mold that occasionally is found in the buildings, not just mine. Um, in terms of the look of the buildings, they're not that um, appealing from the inside, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are issues in other buildings as well. Um, one of my friends actually had a slug crawl through a crack in his wall at one point. That's nothing. Are you kidding me? When I used to go to Iona College, we, uh, the school gave us an off-campus apartment. Mm-hmm. There were rats all over the place. We came back. We sat it down in Mousetrap. There were 20 yeah. dead mice on one. Yeah, well, th- that's an off-campus apartment. That's not mm-hmm. a university-designated um, residence it building. It was through – we did buy it through the university. Yes. So but, they are required to. But it's not necessarily in terms of a formal – um, formally provided um, residence hall that is designated that is an on-campus mm-hmm. residence hall. Something like that is more understandable. Universities have problems like that with mm-hmm. um, off-campus apartments, even for graduate students mm-hmm. um, at other universities. For first-year students that are dorming for the first time in, in their college experience, they should be provided with at least a decent um, housing situation. Not the, there are suffering amenities. I know at orientation there was a, a girl who walked into a room and there was a massive hornet nest and they were attacked Oof. by hornets on their way in. And they had to get an RA to come Welcome in and battle college. the hornets. So I think that, that that there are other issues that I could keep mm-hmm. going through, but we don't have enough time to go mm-hmm. through all of them. Oh, so. we have plenty of time, man. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, also, I have to ask you a question. Yes. Um, the theater program, yes. how large is it here at LIU? How big of a contributor is it? It is a decently sized program. It is possibly one of the largest, at least in terms of musical theater, one of the largest programs on campus. In terms of musical theater? In terms of musical theater is by far one of the most popular majors on campus Mm -hmm. and within the theater, within the communication, College of Communication. It is, I believe, from speaking with theater students, it is the largest Mm -hmm. major, musical theater. And it's a combination of musical performance and obviously theater, pure acting in theater as well. And so how many uh, students here actually do take a double major? So how what's the effective population for that? I'm Why not, should the university be taking this into consideration? I'm not entirely sure of the specific amount of double majors there are. I am aware that there are decently decent amount of double majors. Uh, several of my friends are double majors. Um, and some of them are upperclassmen as well. There are students that I've spoken to that wanted to be double majors. Mm-hmm. Almost every several students I've spoken to that I'm very close with, especially my own friend group, wanted to be double majors mm-hmm. or wanted to add a minor on um, or several minors. I understand that. I would like to be a minor too. Yes. Um, and they are now Disin- they feel disenfranchised by the new policy. Um, double majoring is difficult at any university you go to, but I think that constricting the ease of access to those double majors not it's only reduces not okay. it's not okay, and it reduces the competitiveness of those students who are graduating from a university that is already suffering in terms of com- competition from other nearby universities such as Stony Brook, Hofstra, and Adelphi.
Mm-hmm. So, okay. Well, thank you for giving me your points. Would you like to uh, say anything else? Any final thoughts? Um, Big shouts you like to give? <laughs> I think in terms of the um, students that I've been working with to try and um, promote some activism, I would definitely recommend that other students get involved because a university is only as powerful in achieving change as its student body is in demanding that change. And I think that more students need to be getting involved. I need to be voicing their concerns. Um, I would definitely encourage students to start emailing their deans and professors more often um, and to try and encourage continued discussion. I think keeping an open line of communication open between the administration, the university colleges, the deans, mm-hmm. um, and the professors and students is critical in achieving mm-hmm. change on all of these issues, not and just the tuition And isn't there also policy. a petition? There is a petition. I'm, I haven't signed it. I'm, I, I um, haven't had time to look it over. Uh, I believe my friend Deborah started the petition. It has mm-hmm. several hundred signatures, and it is growing. Um, I will definitely recommend that um, students sign that. I can send it to you or other students who may be interested mm-hmm. in um discussing that as well and, and looking at it and, and signing it and maybe spreading it further. Mm-hmm. So, And you also have a protest coming up, don't you? Uh, we were originally planning um, some sort of demonstration. Uh, it was actually, I believe, Monday we were going to do it, but we um, didn't have enough time. We were constrained for it. Um, we were focusing on contacting the president and organizing more a more effective formal resistance to these issues. Um, as of right now, you, if we do not have a protest before graduation, um, or before the end of the semester, we will definitely start planning some sort of demonstrative work for next semester in advance. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Take No Sh- with the very well put together. Has very definitely thought out these points before he came on here. <laughs> Vincent Giardino. Thank you. We will see you next time. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.